Um, before we invite Emily, um, we're going to read a passage from Revelations. Um, we're going to be continuing our series on the churches of Revelations. Um, today we'll be looking at the church of Philadelphia. Um, so if you'd all like to join me in opening Revelations 3, and we'll be looking at verses 7 to 13. Correct. Awesome. To the church to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word, and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my commandment to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has the ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Incredible, we're gonna welcome Emily to the stage. Um, can I quickly pray for you? Lord God, we thank you so much for your word which you have given to us freely. We thank you for your word that is living, breathing, revealing characters of who you are every single day. Yeah, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for Emily, and we thank you that she's allowing herself to be used as a vessel tonight to talk to us, um, yeah, about you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this passage, which is one of excitement and one of victory, Lord, that you hold the keys, <laughs> and what you have opened, no one can shut. We pray, Lord, Father, that the words that she'll be speaking, which are directly from you, Lord, will just resonate in us. We pray for open hearts, Lord. Would you just begin to soften the hearts of everyone in this place? And even if we've read these passages before, we've heard them before, Lord, yeah, would we just be so willing to hear a new word from you? Would you speak to each one of us today? And would we leave a transformed people? We bless your name, Father God, and we pray that you would do an amazing work over the next couple of minutes. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Amen. What a prayer. Thanks so much, Fran. Wonderful. Well, really such a joy and a privilege to get to share with you guys this evening. Um, I love the 8.15 service, so this is great. Um, so yeah, as Fran and Emma have said, we're continuing kind of wrapping up this, this awesome series that we've been in, in the book of Revelation, and we're, we're listening to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And if you've been journeying with us, you'd have heard quite a mix of things as we've kind of wrestled with Revelation of what the Lord was speaking back then, but is still very much speaking to us today. And as Fran said, we're in the church of Philadelphia, which is not 
the west coast of America. It is a real place today, um, actually sort of east of coast of Turkey. Um, I was looking up, so it, it does exist. Um, and tonight, though, what I really want to speak about is an open door, the door that only Jesus can open, the door to life, the door to freedom, the door to our eternal home with God, the door that Jesus came from heaven to earth to open, a way for all to come to know him. So the open door of salvation, but also, as we read in this passage, the open door of opportunity, the door that Jesus has opened for us, his church, gathered all over the world today, has opened for us to share the good news of who Jesus Christ is, to open the door for others to come in to the riches of heaven's kingdom. So firstly, the open door of salvation. Now, it's good to be aware of our strengths and weaknesses in life. Um, one of my many weaknesses is that I easily lose my keys. I am so good at losing keys. Maybe some of you can resonate with that. Fran was singing, me the, singing to me a song earlier about that. I don't know if you want to do that for us. Maybe not. Maybe later. Um, I have many stories of losing my keys. I think my utter worst one, I'll just share one with you, was last summer. Um, I managed to drop my car keys in the lake. And I only had one set with me, and I needed to drive back down to Oxford. This was up on Lake Windermere, so quite a deep lake. Dro- dropped my keys in. I spent hours with a magnet on the end of a string trying to, like, fish them out. Eventually, my dad had to put on his scuba diving gear and go scuba diving for my keys. I was genuinely so scared he might die, but um, he found my keys. So, praise God, God knew the dad I needed. Um, and that's just one of many stories of how many times I have lost my keys. Um, I'm sure none of you do that. But this incredible passage, as we read about the keys that Jesus holds, he will never lose. He's speaking to the church in Philadelphia, an incredible message and words that he, I really believe he wants to speak to us this evening. So if you've got the passage, open up to chapter 3 and verse 7. We're going to kick it off here. He says, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. So to begin with, we want to ask ourselves, what are these keys exactly, the, the keys of David that Jesus kind of is holding in this image? What is the door that he opens that no one can shut, and what is the door that he shuts that no one can open? I just want to take you on a quick little Bible tour. That phrase, the key of David, it comes from a passage earlier in the Bible in the Old Testament in the book of the prophet Isaiah. Um, Isaiah chapter 22, verse 20 to 24. Just read it out for you. We read, um, so this is a prophecy that that, that is being spoken um, to the rulers at the time. In that day, I will summon my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with robe and fasten your sash around him and hand your authority over to him. He will be a father to those who live in Jerusalem and to the people of Judah. And in verse 22, I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. So it's a bit random here, what's going on, but just stay with me. So Elohim is, if you like, the the servant or the the head steward of the king at the time. And and this guy had been given all of the king's authority, the access to the house of King David, the line of kings that were following. So the house of David here is referring, as we read in the rest of the Old Testament, is to the story of God's chosen people, the house of David. It's almost shorthand, if you like, to the kingdom of God, the city of God that we read about all throughout the Bible. 
to the riches of God himself. And so if you like, as Jesus is saying, I am the one who holds the keys of the king of David. He's saying, I am the fulfillment of all that has been spoken about. I hold the keys of the king. In fact, I am the great king. And he is holding the key, the key of David that unlocks all of the the riches of the living God. And he's saying that with that key to this church, look, I have put before you an open door. By his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus has opened up that door for all to come in to the king's kingdom, to come into the riches of heaven. And what I love, though, about these passages in Revelation, they can be kind of weird when you first read them, but but as we start to dig into a little bit of the context of the specific churches and what was actually going on at the time, we realize how beautifully and tenderly and powerfully Jesus speaks to each church because to the church in Philadelphia, as with a lot of the situations that the Christians were facing at the time, they were under a lot of persecution. Many of them were from a Jewish background. And because of their faith in Jesus, they've been excluded from their families, from their communities. Um, And it's, if you like, that Jesus is speaking directly to them, saying, you've been locked out, but I have opened the door for you. I have opened the door to God for you. And so if you're here tonight and you face rejection for your faith, if you're struggling with the situations surrounding your faith, perhaps as family situations or just friends who don't get it or you're just feeling a bit under it, this is what Jesus is speaking to you tonight. You might be here thinking, well, that's all good and true, but in all honesty, I feel quite far and distant to these riches of heaven that you're speaking about. This doesn't really feel like my everyday life. Or perhaps you've never known that open door. You've never known the peace of truly knowing that you are loved by the King of Kings. And there's a beautiful book called The Pilgrim's Progress. It's a pretty old book now. I think there's probably modern versions of it. And it's written by John Bunyan. And it's an allegorical story of a guy named Christian, who is a Christian. And he is kind of, it's like a story of his spiritual journey from this life to the next. And it's all these kind of different characters come along. And it's a really beautiful way of sort of understanding the Christian life. And on part of Christian's journey, um, him and his friend named Hopeful, they encounter a character called Giant Despair. And these two pilgrims, so they're on a journey, um, they end up in the giant's property and thrown into a place called Doubting Castle. So we've got the Giant Despair and then they're in Doubting Castle. And then we read in the story that they're in this um, dungeon in Doubting Castle and they're feeling tortured and they're they're starved and they're just in a really bleak place. But there's this beautiful moment when Christian suddenly comes to his senses and he says this, it's a bit old language, but he says, what a fool am I thus to lie in a stinking dungeon when I may as well walk in liberty. I have a key in my bosom called promise that will open any door in Doubting Castle. So with renewed hope in their hearts, the two pilgrims arose, unlocked the doors and walked out again onto the king's highway. You see, so often in life as Christians, we can actually find ourselves in times that feel like dungeons of despair, in doubting castle, where situations arise, either things that we just didn't plan or or the situations that we're seeing in the world around us, and we start to lose sight of the gift that has been given to us through Jesus, the key of promise that he has placed into our hands And even when we face the greatest trials or we don't know how to pray for the world around us, we have an unshakable hope, a key of access to the kingdom of light. 
And we read earlier in Revelation, um, John, who's writing the book, has this incredible vision of, of Jesus, of what he really is like. Um, read it in this week if you want to just meditate a bit more on, on what is Jesus really like in verse, um, verses chapter 9 and from chapter 1. But there's a beautiful verse in verse 17 when he says what happened when he saw Jesus in all of his glory and splendor. He says he fell at his feet as though dead. But then this is beautiful. This is what Jesus says to him. He places his right hand on him and says, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. And John is being told he doesn't need to be afraid. He doesn't need to fear any earthly power, any trial that may come. Because Jesus Christ, when he died in our place, when he hung on the cross, he entered into hell. He stole that weapon of fear, ultimately rooted in the fear of death. He took back the keys. And fear is such a powerful force. It's what robs us of life so much. Fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of pain, fear of hitting rock bottom. Just insert fear, we all face fears. But Jesus, he took back those keys and he stands in the midst of the churches and he's standing in the midst of the churches today saying, do not be afraid. I was dead, but look, I'm alive now forevermore. I defeated death. I took on sin and I'm holding the keys today. And so this is the promise that we get to hold in our hearts, the key of promise that unlocks that doubting castle, that unlocks fear, that leads us into freedom that leads us into that beautiful intimacy that Jesus died so that we could know with God. And Jesus Christ, who came to seek and to save the lost, to bring us those keys. We read elsewhere in Revelation that he's the one that stands at the door and knocks, that says, who anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with them. I know for me, for a long time, what stopped me coming to church um, when I wasn't a Christian, when I was, I was thinking about it, a friend had invited me, and I just thought, I don't belong in church. The way I'm living, the type of stuff I'm involved in, people like me don't go to church. But that was the complete opposite of the gospel, that, that Jesus had done everything to open the door for me to come. All I had to do was come in and receive his grace and receive his forgiveness. I just want to say, if you're here tonight and you've never accepted that gift of his love and his forgiveness, that that tonight is the door, that he is standing at the door and knocking. But there also might be others in the room that need to be reminded of the key of promise, of what he's placed in our hand, that whatever kind of fear or doubt you may be facing, he says, I have given you those keys. Be reminded to the access that you have to all of heaven's riches, the grace, the love, the comfort, the joy when things are heavy, the forgiveness when we mess up, the peace that surpasses understanding, the mercy when we need to know more of his love. And the beautiful thing is that God doesn't have a, uh, resources of heaven that are gonna run out. It's not like, oh, they've got it, but God doesn't really love me, it's just for them. No, there's an unlimited resources of heaven, and he just loves to pour out more of his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And so I pray that he would stir hunger in us to know more of what access we have in Jesus to the kingdom of heaven. And it's interesting that the church in Philadelphia was commended even through what they faced, the trials they faced, that they kept the word of God and they did not deny him. 
And it's as if the way that they were able to persevere was because they kept the key of promise in their heart. They kept holding on to the word of God. And so when we go through trials, when we go through difficult seasons, it's knowing the word of God. It's renewing our minds daily in his love. They were able to keep access to that kingdom of heaven. We find our spirit being awakened to the resources that God has given us. So that's the first thing, the open door of salvation. And then secondly, the open door of opportunity. So uh, often in the New Testament, this is kind of where this phrase open door is used. Paul often uses it when he talks about um, the gospel being shared in different places. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we read he writes, um, I will stay at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great, effect, a great door of effective work has opened up for me. Or he says elsewhere, I found an open door to preach the gospel. It's as if he's, he's talking about whenever there's a kind of opportunity to speak about Jesus, there's an open door that God has made. And so the open door that Jesus is presenting the church with, that he's presenting us with today, is an open door to tell others about Jesus. It's an open door to invite people into his kingdom, into what he won for them. But this open door doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be an easy ride. In fact, often when Paul spoke about the open door for the gospel, it would be completely followed by, and then there are those who oppose me, so please pray for me. But you know, the beautiful thing is this church in Philadelphia, it wasn't a big, shiny church, kind of in an earthly sense. It didn't have loads of resources. It was in an area where there was lots of earthquakes all the time, so they were constantly kind of trying to move around, finding somewhere that they could meet. But he says in verse eight, I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and not denied me. And you know, it's so amazing that, that Jesus isn't saying, you guys, you've got it all together got so many great programs, you've got a great buzzing church, there's an open door for you. He's like, no, I see it. You're pretty weak on the, the surface, but I love what you're doing. I love what's going on in your church, and I've got an open door set before you. And in fact, I think often when we feel weak, it's actually a great way for God to use us because there's an even greater dependency on him, that we're allowing ourselves to rely on his resources, not our own. And you know what, though, he's saying, I see that you're struggling, I see that you're in opposition, but don't shrink back. This is an opportunity to advance the kingdom of God for the gospel to be proclaimed. So often it's times where people are facing persecution, where churches don't have the freedom to meet, that the gospel advances in the most beautiful way. We had Open Doors, an amazing charity, come and um, run a student night for us a few weeks ago. It was so moving to hear stories of persecuted believers all around the world not giving up in the face of trial, but God just blessing them in the most beautiful way. And their prayer often isn't, don't take away the persecution. It's, Lord, advance your kingdom, revive your church. And actually what's interesting is even Philadelphia, where it was placed geographically, it was a place um, that was actually founded in order to spread Greek culture, because it was right on the cusp of sort of East meets West. Um, and in one sense, one commentator writes that Philadelphia as a city was a missionary place from the beginning. It was a place kind of where they wanted to advance uh, Greek culture. But actually, Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to use this place to advance the gospel. Geographically, it was the perfect position for the gospel to be spread out to all of that, that area. It's a strategic place. A few weeks ago, um, do you remember when we had Storm Eunice? One of the, oh, I don't know, I lose track of the names. One of the, who names these storms? Anyway, Storm Eunice was raging around. And um, I, I don't know, I thought it'd be fun to go for a run in Storm Eunice. I felt like I was in a video game. So I'm running through Oxford, and um, I get to Queen's Lane, um, and a lady was, uh, it was sort of a side door, and she was like really struggling to shut this door. And 
I don't know what came over me. I just I thought I had like super strength, and I said, "I'll help you." <laughs> and um, so the two of us are there, like trying to shut this door, and basically it like been blown off the hinges. And she didn't actually really speak much English, so I wasn't quite sure what we were trying to achieve, like if we were working together. Well, anyway, then these two men were like, Are "You guys all right?" I was like, "I think we're trying to shut this door." So all four of us are literally trying to physically shut this door. And the guy, he said so clearly, he said, "That door is. There's no way that door is going to shut." And it was so interesting because I'd literally just read this passage and then gone for a run, and I was like, what? Um, but I really felt in that moment, I was reminded that actually that promise that Jesus said, when he says, any door that I open, no man can shut, and any door I close, no man can open, that is what stands true today. And so often we can think, when we look at situations, look at perhaps our friendship groups or people we know, we think, how on earth, God, can you move in this place? I don't understand how you're going to break in but we hold on to his promises. And I really believe that, that Oxford is a gateway city, that the nations gather in this city, that people from all walks of life are here in this place. And God is saying to us today, there is an open door of opportunity. There is an open door of opportunity for each and every person to play a part in opening up the key to heaven, in opening up a way for people to come to know Jesus. And this isn't a time to play it safe. Look around our world today. People need to know the hope of eternity, the hope that we have in Jesus. And there are so many stories at the moment of just God working in the most beautiful ways of people coming to church for the first time or just beautiful stories of people kind of just feeling this um, desire to share with their friends about what they're doing at the moment and they get brought along to church. People from all different walks of life. And so finally, just to land, the question is, how then do we make the most of these opportunities? How can we walk in these open doors that God has presenting for us? Well, firstly, we're going to pray, and we're going to pray in a moment. Um, so often when Paul, throughout the New Testament, talks about the open door for the gospel, he says, so pray. Pray that I would offer opportunities. Pray for boldness. Pray that I would be able to share. Um, and it's like he's always saying it. He's always asking people to pray. And so, yeah, sure, we might not always be the ones sort of telling people about Jesus. We often do get opportunities about that, but we are all involved. And, and you have no idea that, that how much God is using your prayers to make opportunities for other people in different spaces to speak boldly about Jesus. Um, and I'm reminded as well of that beautiful passage in Matthew, particularly as we think about praying for the church in Ukraine, praying for the church in Russia, of what he's, um, Jesus says to Peter he says, I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound on heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose on heaven. This is a whole big verse in itself. There's so much we could say about that. But ultimately, know that the kingdom of God will prevail, that the church is still going. <laughs> 2,000 years ago it was started, and it's still going today, and it is advancing all over the world. And when we pray, we get to partner with what God is doing in the heavenly realms. We get to say, God, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So firstly, we pray. But secondly, so often as we pray, we get changed in the process. And, and I really believe surrender is a key to stepping into opportunities that God has presented before us. Remember this church in Philadelphia, they were facing a lot of persecution. There was a lot of objection to them. They could have easily just said, you know what, let's just kind of lay low for a bit. Let's hang on. Let's not cause too much of a fuss. This is all a bit costly. Um, settled for less. And, you know, God is patient. He is kind. He's so tender towards us. But I think so often we end up missing the open gospel opportunities the faith adventure that God has for us, when we sort of try and take control, when we insert ourselves into the driving seat. 
But actually, when we live each day out of a place of surrender and say, God, I'm yours today. Use me, Holy Spirit, as you will. So often it's then that he begins to steer our hearts into opportunities like we would not even imagine. Open doors of opportunity to share our faith, to to speak kind words, to pray for people, to to use our, our studies, our work for his glory. It's crazy. God doesn't need us, but he loves to use us in, his, in our weakness. So we pray, we surrender, and perhaps if the band would like to come up. Um, finally, we, we act. We go. A while ago, again, this is another story about keys. I won't bore you with any more stories about keys, but I don't know about you guys, but I have um, on my house, my set of keys, I've got my house in Oxford, and then my parents' house. They still, they still let me have a key, which is nice. Um, and more often than not, because I'm in Oxford most of the time, when I go to my parents' house, I often try and put my Oxford house key in their key door. It's just like a weird thing I always end up doing. Um, but it never happens the other way around, I think, because I'm just like most of the time in Oxford. But not that long ago, after I'd spent quite a bit of time out of Oxford, I got to Oxford, and I put the wrong house key in the door, and it kind of made me laugh, because I was like, oh, that's funny. I obviously feel like not really at home here at the moment. And I was just thinking about it this week, that actually, I really believe, I don't know how kind of this technically all works, but that the authority that we have in the place that we really feel home, in the place that we love, it's like we have this freedom to walk in the, the kingdom authority that God has given us. And actually, the more that we know God's love for us, the more that we know the freedom that he has given us, the more peace that we know. It's like we can't but help want to go and share it with others. We can't help but want to unlock the door for people to come into the kingdom of God. It's his love that compels us to share. It's his love that moves us to want to take risks for him. It's his love that, that stirs that fire in our hearts that people can't say, help but say, what's different about you? As, says, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all and that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So we pray, we surrender, and we go.